are the true light of the faithful, the perfect brightness of the blessed, and the true light of your church. Grant that our hearts may humbly pray to you and always offer you our praise. And always offer you our praise through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Woodland Hills. I'm Greg Boyd, uh, teaching pastor here at the, the church. So glad you joined us here this morning or whenever it is that, that uh, you are, are uh, participating in this. We're, we're glad that you're here. Uh, could I just, yeah, I noticed when Oshita was, was up ta- uh, talking up here, you can only see like a couple of the trees uh, in, in our background, but could we just pan just to show, I mean, these folks did so much work to get this great stage and uh, yeah, give my hand. It's beautiful. It's just beautiful. It, it looks a little better in person than on the screen, but it still looks really good. I, I, I'd like to just give a shout out. Thank you to uh, uh, Christy and Chandler from Arizona and uh, Stephanie from North St. Paul and the Mueller family, who I'm told are new to the church, uh, to Woodland Hills, uh, who live in Plymouth. Thank you guys for participating in this. Really appreciate uh, uh, that. The prayer that was prayed uh, is actually an ancient prayer. It goes back to the 8th century in France. And one of the things we want to do during this Advent season is uh, we're going to begin and end each service uh, with a traditional prayer, uh, an ancient prayer uh, in some cases. Otherwise, it's just part of the uh, common book of prayer. But we're going to celebrate uh, Advent that way. As Oshita said, Advent is the four weeks that lead up to Christmas. And uh, we kind of put ourselves in the place of the folks in the Old Testament who were waiting for the first coming of Jesus. And they're longing for that and for deliverance. And Ruth saying so beautifully about that. Uh, and so we, we, we now, Jesus came the first time, that's behind us, but we look forward to his return. Uh, Advent's a time where we're asking the Lord to come into our hearts more fully. Okay, so we, to come, to have an Advent into our lives, but then ultimately be to come and make the world right, to finish all that he inaugurated, all that he started with his first coming. And each week we'll be lighting a candle. And the candle is a very traditional way of just saying, an ancient way of saying the lights are still on. We're, 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 we're waiting for you. We're, an, we're anticipating you. We're expecting you and we're preparing for you. So it's looking forward to that. Now, uh, Advent's part of the, what's called the church calendar, or the Christian calendar. Uh, it includes Christmas and Easter and some, a bunch of other things. And there are some churches, traditional churches, or high churches they're sometimes called, who uh, they, they go by the, the Christian calendar all year long. We here at Wilton Hills are not so high church. In fact, we're rather informal. Uh, you may have noticed if you've been around here uh, for any length of time. So really Christmas and Easter are the only two uh, holidays that we really kind of focus on. But this year we thought we should tune into Advent. Um, and here's why. Because it's 2020. <laughs> Need I say more? <clears throat> That's the explanation for everything. It's 2020. What do you think? 
Why am I bald? It's 2020. Don't need to say anything else. But see, 2020, it's, it's a head-spinning year. It's, uh, it's you know, it, it, it's just been, I, I will tell you on a, a personal level, it's, I think, been probably the worst year of my life on a number of different, uh, God's always good, but life and COVID can sometimes stink. And so here we are, we find ourselves in this pandemic that keeps on spiking. <laughs> and it doesn't look like it's going to go down anytime soon, unfortunately. Um, and, and, and then we've got on top of that, uh, this uh, uh, racial tension underneath the surface. And we've got political division that is just, it sometimes seems unbridgeable. And there's people who are, many people are experiencing a lot of economic stress right now. Out of job and whatever. And then there's the whole thing about schooling and the kids and stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads. And it is just one thing on top of another. And when you're in a head-spinning time like this, and we haven't, I, this is the most head-spinning time I think any of us in our life. If, if you're under 102 years old, uh, you have to go back to the Spanish flu before you get anything that's been like we're in right now. So it's, it's pretty unprecedented. And uh, in a season like this, it just seems like there's something reassuring about reminding yourself that you're part of a church and part of a tradition uh, that goes back in time a long, long way. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's a good way of reminding ourselves, by, by, by doing Advent, what's happening is we're doing something that Christians have been doing throughout history. At least it, the origins go back around to the 5th century BC and the, or AD, and they evolved from there. But we're, we're, we're doing something that Christians have done throughout the centuries. And it's a way of reminding ourselves that we're not the first Christians who have had to go through a pandemic and the first Christians that have had to live in social unrest. Uh, no, our, our brothers and sisters in, in, in the past have had, often had to endure things that were much worse. Uh, persecutions, and imagine what it would be like to uh, have been around in Europe in the 14th century when the bubonic plague hit. We're freaked out because COVID, uh, it's about 1% fatal, but one out of every 100 people who get it, uh, die from it, give or take. But in medieval Europe, it was one out of three people uh, died. Uh, 30% of the population of, of Europe uh, was decimated by that. And then there's been, we're in a time of bad social unrest for sure. But uh, man, uh, it, it, it's been a lot worse. What would it have been like to be around, well, even during the, the, the uh, American Civil War, the American Revolution, or the Russian Revolution, or the French Revolution. These were times where, you know, citizens, up arms against other citizens, and mayhem ensued. Uh, it was just, it'd be like if, if the Democrats and Republicans decided to pick up arms against one another and start shooting each other right now, you know? It's, I don't know how we tell one from the other, but it'd be chaos mess, and scary thing is there's some people who are talking like that, and it's very dangerous talk, because sometimes those things happen. But see, However bad things got, however bad the social unrest was, however bad the pandemic was, however bad the persecution was, Christians at this time said, we're looking to the future. We're, our eyes are still on you. However bad things get, in Advent we say, God, you're still on your throne, and we're trusting you to come through on your promises. We're trusting that you have not given up on us. Even though it may sometimes feel like that, it may sometimes look like this, as the society crumbles around you and people dying and war around and tensions and anger and hostility. It can seem like maybe we're abandoned, but we are not. Emmanuel is God with us, and he's always with us. And we look to the time when he will come and bring his kingdom in fullness and make the world the way the world was always supposed to be, make the world right. And so it just seemed like in this head-spinning season in which we're in, it'd be good to tap into that. 
the reassurance of something that survived throughout the centuries. Not everything is fickle, not everything fades. The Church of Jesus Christ stands strong. So we're, 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 we're focusing on Advent during this time. We're calling this, uh, this series uh, Illuminate. And um, we're, we're following the spirit of the Advent season, not so much the letter of the Advent season. Uh, technically, Advent began last week. Okay, so we're not following the letter of it, but we are following the spirit of it. Uh, the themes that uh, Oshida mentioned, um, Hope, uh, for today we'll be talking about hope, and, and uh, then we go into peace and joy, and we culminate with love. So today's message is going to be on hope, and frankly, given the situation that we're in right here, I can't imagine a more appropriate message. We all need a little hope right now. So, um, I want to read a passage from the book of Luke. Uh, actually, it's the same passage that I preached on two weeks ago. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 32. Uh, but I'll be looking at it from a different angle. Two weeks ago, I looked at this passage in terms of the past that led up to it. Now I want to look at this passage in terms of the hope uh, and the future vision that, that it gives us, what it tells us about uh, the hope that we are to have. Uh, the background of this passage is that Mary and, and Joseph are taking Jesus to the temple to dedicate him, as was required by uh, the Jewish law. And then we read this, starting with verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Ruth just saying about this, the consolation of Israel, because Israel had been for quite some time inconsolable. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple, and when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. Now I can die. He says, I can die happily and in peace, because my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Or it could be, which you have prepared uh, with a view towards all people, so that all people could see this. And that revelation, it looks like, that salvation looks like it's a light to the Gentiles, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and for the glory of your people, Israel. Hallelujah. So, just a little background. Uh, we've seen in the Salt and Light series that God's plan of salvation really begins in earnest when he calls Abraham out of Ur and says, Abraham, I'm going to bless your descendants. You're going to have descendants that are more numerous than the stars in the sky, and I will bless them so they can be a blessing to, to other people. Uh, God's plan was to make them the uh, light on a hill, uh, the, a beacon of hope to the world. And uh, the hope was that by how they live and what, by what they believe, they would be attracted to the other nations and they'd draw all these other nations into the same covenant that they had with Yahweh. That was the plan. Uh, and so the, the covenant was, if, if you walk in my ways, I'll make you a light uh, on a hill and you'll, you'll, you'll be this beacon of light to the world and you will be blessed to be a blessing. But if you don't walk in my ways, if you persistently disobedient, well, then you won't be blessed. And um, those other nations that you're called to bless, well, instead of blessing them, you're actually going to be in exile and, and be in, in, under authority of those other nations. Those pagan nations will, will rule you. Well, as you know, if you've read the Old Testament, the, the Israelites weren't very good at keeping covenant with God. Over and over and over and over and over again throughout history, God makes attempts to try to uh, bring them back in, but they just want to be like other nations and they walk away from God and, and whatnot. 
So by the time that Jesus shows up, they had been in exile and under the authority of pagan nations for eight centuries. And this is why they were inconsolable. Um, it, 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 it was hard being under the authority of pagan nations. Uh, some were nicer than others, but Rome was particularly brutal. But beyond that, it was just offensive to the Jews that they who worship the one true God would be enslaved to people who, who worship idols. It just didn't seem right. And they yearned for the time when it would be made right. In time, their despair led them to the revelation that they're not going to course correct on their own. Uh, if we haven't got ourselves compliant with the law by now, if we haven't been able to enjoy the blessings of the law for eight centuries, what makes us think that tomorrow we're going to wake up and start doing it? They began to see that their only hope of ever getting right with God would be in a Messiah. Uh, God would have to come and course correct Israel and course correct the world, and he would do it by means of a Messiah. Messiah just means anointed one, uh, Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is, it means the anointed one, the Messiah. When we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah. And so they believe that this anointed one, this coming Christ, he would be the one that would fulfill, in whom the promises of God to uh, the Israelites would be fulfilled. Uh, they believed that the Messiah would come and would deliver them from captivity, as Ruth's just saying. Uh, he would be the consolation of Israel, the, the, the relief of Israel, the, the one to restore the glory of Israel so they could once again be uh, a light to the other nations. He would be the one that would bring the blessing to Israel so that, blessing could be, uh, so that Israel could be a blessing to others. So Simeon had been promised uh, we're not told when, but at some point in his life, he was promised that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. Uh, and all of his life, he lived with that hope. Uh, he was at this point an old man, but he's just been hanging on that hope. I don't want to die until I see the Lord's Messiah. I, I don't want to die until I see the assurance that, that, that God's promises will be fulfilled. That it, it won't, the, 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 the suffering of Israel won't go on forever and ever. He, that, that, that was the hope that he had. And so the Spirit led him to the temple, and as he holds the baby Jesus, uh, by means of the Spirit, he sees that this, this is the one. This is the Messiah. This, in Jesus Christ himself, uh, Israel, the one, he's the one true Israelite, the one true descendant of Abraham. He will keep covenant with God, and he will be a blessing that will be uh, to all people. He will be the light of revelation to the Gentiles. He will be the one to uh, restore Israel to glory. And, um, and so then he says, now I can die. Take me home. I'm, I'm good to go. I've seen the Lord's Messiah, the salvation that he brings. And this leads me to really is what is the main part of this message. And I want to uh, uh, give a little warning here, all right? Um, what I'm going to be teaching here in the next 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, let's see how the Spirit leads. Uh, but... Um, uh, it, it will be new to some of you if you haven't, uh, if, you, if you're relatively new to Woodland Hills, uh, this may be a new teaching. It may conflict with some things that you have believed all your life. And that's cool. Uh, I just encourage you to keep an open mind. Uh, you don't have to agree with me, uh, but just let it stimulate thinking about this. And if I do that, I've done my job. On the other hand, you might think, well, this is what's been missing all your life. And so we'll see how that goes. But see, the question I want to ask is, what is the salvation, really? What is the salvation that Simeon was hoping for? Uh, what was the content of Simeon's hope? And is it the same content as we have? Uh, what, what, are, what, what do we hope for? And I, 
If I were to do a survey of, uh, especially American Christians, but could be Christians uh, throughout the, the, the West, and to some degree it'd be beyond that. If I were to ask, what, how do you understand salvation? Or uh, what, what is it that you hope for? What difference does Jesus make in your life? How is Jesus your hope? I suspect that the vast majority of people would say, well, uh, because of Jesus, I will go to heaven when I die. Uh, my soul can go to heaven when I die. And maybe you're listening to this and, and you're thinking, well, duh, of course. Duh, of course. Now, here's the thing. Um, there are, so far as I'm about three verses in the New Testament that do seem to suggest that, uh, that we are conscious after death and that for Christians, at least, you're in the presence of God in, in some sense. Uh, but there's only three, and it's fairly vague. Uh, Paul in, in, in Philippians 1 says, and here's one of the verses, he says, I'm not sure um, whether it's better for me to stay here and minister to you or to go and be with the Lord, because he was in prison at this point and he was facing possible execution. And so Paul says, well, personally, I'd rather go be with the Lord. Uh, but for your sake, I, I think it's better to stay. But it seems to indicate that Paul uh, believed that when he, when he died, he would go and in some sense be with the Lord. So that's true. In fact, that verse and these other two verses are, are what convinced me that there is consciousness after death. I, for a while in my life, thought that when you're dead, you're dead. You, you're asleep, as the New Testament often says. And that it's only at the resurrection at the end that you'll be brought back to life again. But I now think that there's enough biblical warrant to believe that, no, the soul does survive the bodily death. And actually, I think there's quite a bit of uh, empirical evidence that that is the case. Can't go into that right now, but it's, it's kind of interesting stuff. So, so yes, there is, and, and that's a comforting belief. Um, you know, when, when you're, I've done funerals, uh, it, it's, it's great to be able to say that your loved one uh, is, is right now in the hands of, of, of a God who loves them more than you ever dreamed of loving them. Uh, they're, they're, they go on in some sense. So that, that, that is good news. But it's not the good news. Uh, this is not what the New Testament means by heaven. Uh, it's not a state of perfection and completeness. It's not that unimaginable joy that Paul promises us when he says that the glory that God has in store for those who love him can't be compared to the sufferings of this present world. That's not it yet. In fact, in, in 2 Corinthians 5, and this passage can be interpreted in several different ways, but as I read it, Paul is saying that, that uh, he implies when he's with the Lord before the resurrection, in this kind of interim state, um, he, will be, he longs to be clothed with his body. He says it's, it's a tent. He refers to it as a tent. And, and to, there's something not quite yet full when the soul is, de, is, is detached from the body. So, he's, so he longs for to be clothed with his tent. He's referring to the resurrection at the end of the age when all of our bodies will be resurrected. And that is what the Bible means by heaven. Uh, that is when the kingdom of God will come in, in fullness. The final state is the resurrection. But there is this interim stage that sometimes uh, scholars refer to it as the interim stage where the, the soul is with the Lord. Now we can guess about what's going on there, uh, but we don't know much about that at all. We only have a couple verses to go on. I suspect God's continuing to work with people and refine us and, and, and prepare us for the, for the coming kingdom. But the hope of the New Testament is not that our soul will go to heaven, though it does, but no, that's not the focus. That idea that our hope is that we go to heaven when we die, that is, I think, owes a lot more to Plato than, than to the Bible. Uh, Plato was this ancient Greek philosopher, and for various reasons, 
he, he drew a, a real strong line between spirit and matter. And spirit was, was like what really existed. Matter was sort of quasi-existing. It was not quite fully real. And spirit is altogether good, but, but, but matter is defective. And there's something uh, less good about it. In fact, some of Plato's followers came to regard matter as being somewhat evil. We're, we're, we're trapped down here. Plato himself believed that a person is a, has a soul, which is good, that's spirit, that participates in the divine, but it's imprisoned in a body. And so when you die, the spirit gets released, and uh, then Platonists debate what happens after that. But note that in, in this, I'll call it a Platonic understanding of salvation. You, you die and your soul goes to heaven. In this Platonic model of salvation, um, you're saved from the material world, and you're saved from your material body. Now, if, 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 uh, there's several questions I want to ask about that view. If that view is correct, that that's our hope, the grand finale, we die and go to heaven, if that's the, the ultimate hope, what does that have to do with the biblical narrative? Uh, see, because the, the biblical narrative is all about God being involved in this physical world, operating with physical people. Uh, why did God go through the whole bother of raising up the patriarchs and calling out Abraham and, and, and promising his descendants would be a blessing and then working with Israel, taking it out of Egypt, getting them into the promised land, over and over again trying to get them to walk in his ways? And why did God bother to become a human being and die on the cross and r rise from the dead uh, and, and then empower the church to uh, be this beacon of light, the light of the world and the body of Christ and so on? Uh, it certainly seems, if you read the Bible, it seems like God really cares about this physical world and, and this physical creation and physical people. He cares about the, the shape that history is taking and the, uh, how history is unfolding and where it's leading to. He cares about all that. It's a long story. But to think that it culminates with, oh, you go to heaven when you die, what does that have anything to do with this? It's like it leaves the story without an ending. A historical story about the, how God is Emmanuel in a physical world with physical people ought to have a physical world with physical people ending to it, a culmination. To end with, an, oh, you guy and go to heaven, it makes the whole biblical narrative uh, irrelevant. And if, you, if the ultimate goal is, is for uh, you to die so your soul can go to heaven, um, well, it, it changes your view of a lot of things which I think uh, Christianity has been deeply afflicted with. Uh, in this Platonist view of salvation, our bodies are just temporary things that we use. They're something that get us to the point we want to go to. And the whole physical world is just sort of a waiting station or a, 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 a transitional station. It's something we, we go through. Uh, but it's, it's not our home. It's, it's not permanent, okay? It's just, no, no, we, 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 we go through this, it's, it's defective, but then we're set free and get to go to heaven. Or some Christians believe, and this is what I was taught when I was first a Christian, that if you're alive when the Lord returns, uh, well, then you don't have to die, but you just get suctioned up. And, and Jesus comes and suctions up all the Christians and takes them away to a different place, and that's heaven, way over there. And all these poor suckers on the earth who are left behind have to go through the tribulation period and take the mark of the beast and get their head cut off and drink blood and all the other things that Thief in the Night warned you about. So, but it's all about escaping this world. Well, see, if that's your view of the world, um, if it's a transitional thing, well, it's just not very important then, right? It's just something you use and can then toss away. It's, uh, 
If that's your view, then the earth is sort of like, you know, a truck stop bathroom where everyone uses it, but no one really cares about it. So it stinks to high heaven. It's just not taken care of. You know, uh, why would you bother about worrying, worrying about the furniture on the Titanic or, or painting a wall on the Titanic after it's hit the iceberg? It's going to go down anyways. Well, don't concern yourself with that. So also, if this earth is just going to all just fry anyways, well, then why be that interested in it? In fact, if, if you have a platonic kind of view of salvation, then when you find somebody who is really interested in the physical here and now and the welfare of people here and now and, and, and the welfare of the earth and the welfare of the animal kingdom here and now, well, those look kind of screwy. Uh, you're paying attention to the wrong stuff. You're majoring in the minors. Um, you know, it, it reflects a carnal mind. You're not heavenly minded enough because in their view, heaven contrasts with this physical world. So you ought to be more heavenly minded, not so earthly minded. And uh, um, by that, I mean, you don't pay attention to these kind of things. And folks who care about the earthly environmental environment, uh, sometimes, some Christians look at that and say, oh, they're liberal. They're liberal, which is just another way of, for evangelicals to say, well, they're carnal. And see, if that's your view of salvation and that's your view of the world, it's not surprising that, and, and I think this view is pervasive, but uh, that means that, that really the main job of the church, maybe the only job of the church is to save souls. Uh, get people to sign on the dotted line so that when they die, they go to heaven because that's the really important thing. Oh yeah, there's physical things around. It's nice and we should show love to all those people, whatever. But our call isn't to adjust that. That's just rearranging furniture on the Titanic. Our call is to eternalize people by giving them the truth of Jesus Christ, save their soul, and then others will take care of the physical needs. So the good news that we would have, if, this is, if you hold the Platonic view of salvation, the good news you have to the poor is, uh, well, you know, it's, it's too bad that you're poor, but um, the good news is that when you die, you won't be poor anymore. You'll be rich. And sorry that you're sick and, and have infirmities, but the good news that we offer you is that, that if you believe in Jesus, then when you die, you won't have that sickness anymore. We're not going to do a thing about your state of being right now. We'll leave that to governments and other agencies. Our, our, our job is to give you that eternal ticket. <sighs> that, folks, is not the gospel. Um, the hope of the New Testament is, does not draw this dichotomy between the spirit realm and the material realm. Uh, the hope that we have in the New Testament, the, the hope that Simeon has, it wasn't that he could die and get his pie in the sky when he dies by and by. He was, he was okay dying, but he doesn't even worry about that. What, 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 what his hope was in and what satisfied his heart and made him ready to die is he saw that the story of God, this long story of God being Emmanuel in this physical world with physical people in physical history, it's going to have a culminating point. It has a climactic ending and the ending is beautiful and it's all found in Jesus. See, the, the hope that we have in the New Testament isn't a salvation from the physical world. It's rather the salvation of the physical world. It's not a salvation from our physical bodies. It's a, it's a salvation and a transformation of our physical bodies. And it's not a salvation that is away from history and has nothing to do with history. That's Platonic salvation. No, biblical salvation is a salvation that takes place in history. And it is a transformation of history. That's what the incarnation, that's what Christmas is all about. If you're view is that this world is just a passing station, well then, you have nothing really good to offer the world other than this ticket to go to heaven. But the gospel is, all, that is such a truncated view of what the gospel is about. The gospel involves all of creation, the physical creation, including our bodies and, and everything else. Because the truth is that God loves matter. 
Matter's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. God created it for crying out loud. So in Genesis 1, after creating the physical world and the plants and the animals, the dirt and the water, the sky, and, the, the, and after creating then us with our physical bodies, God said, it is very good. This whole physical thing is very, very good. The physical stars, the physical earth, the physical bodies, all of it is very, very good. So good that God actually became matter. You go, what? Became matter? But that's what the incarnation is. The word became flesh. The word took on our physicality. So matter apparently is compatible with God dwelling in it. Matter is compatible with Emmanuel. So it can't be bad. The Platonists were wrong. Matter's a good thing. Now, here's the thing. Plato wasn't altogether wrong because he was right to see that matter is defective as it is now. In its current state, matter is defective. You may have noticed, some of you who are older, that matter is defective. The body gets more and more defective by the day. All matter wears out. You run out of energy. It it breaks down. You eventually die. And the process of going there is a process of decay. You lose your hair, funky things like that. Gravity starts to win more. If you haven't experienced it yet, you will. So yeah, matter is right now jacked up, but that's not because matter is bad. It's because matter right now is part of this fallen universe. It's because matter right now, the matter that we have, the physicality we have right now, has been corrupted by the principalities and powers. Agents that God had entrusted with some authority over creation with the hope that they would use that authority in line with his will, but instead they rebelled and now are using that authority at cross purposes with God. And so matter now gets corrupt. But see, the problem's not with matter. God loves matter, and matter is in and of itself good, and God has no intentionality of abandoning it, any of it. In fact, what salvation's all about in the New Testament is God wants to redeem all of it, the whole thing. He doesn't give up on real estate. Uh, and so Paul tells us in, in, in Romans 8, for example, um, he says that the entire creation is groaning like a woman in labor pains for this coming redemption. It's not the way it's supposed to be right now. It's in the, it's in the state of pain. Uh, In Colossians 1, he tells us that God right now is working by means of the cross, by means of the love that was revealed on Calvary. He's working to uh, reconcile everything in creation to one another and to him, Uh, whether on earth or or in heaven. Or in Ephesians 1, he says that means of the cross, God is bringing everything together under one head. Ephesians 1 here, verses 9 and 10. And uh, uh, he's harmonizing everything into into one head. But it involves the entire creation, all of it. God loves matter, and that why, that's why God wants to save matter, wants to transform matter. This is why Jesus had to be resurrected with a body. Uh, Jesus didn't come out of the tomb. One thing I noticed about having a bald top is that when I sweat, it gets really shiny. So now I, Mary tells me I have to bring a rag up here so I don't get too unsightly. It's true. I, I'm a sweat hog. I know it. I know it. Um, but see, this is why Jesus had to be resurrected with, with, with a body. He didn't come out of the tomb as this ethereal ghost, Casper the friendly ghost. No, he, he had his body. In Luke 24, he says that to, to these folks. They think they're, just, they're seeing a ghost. And Jesus says, does a, does a ghost have bones, flesh, and blood like, like this? And to Thomas, he says, hey, if you don't believe, put your hand in my, the wound in, put your finger in the wound in my hand and in my side. That was Jesus' body. No, it was a transformed body. Uh, it this was the first body in history that had been set free from the corruption of the powers. Uh, this is the body, the kind of body that God wanted us originally to have. And he had qualities, that body had qualities that the pre-resurrection uh, body of Jesus didn't have. Chief one being 
that the resurrected Jesus will never die. Uh, the resurrected Jesus, he, he doesn't go through a process of decay and atrophy like our present earthly bodies do. So it's a transformed body, um, free from the corruption. And that's a little window, a little peekaboo about what is coming in the future. Uh, the promise is that we will have bodies like this when we are resurrected. And that's, that, that's the complete state. That's the hope. That's the final goal. That's the culminating point. And the, it's a little peekaboo into maybe an idea of what uh, the coming creation will look like. Uh, it will be different than this creation. It's going to have to be if, if we're not going to die. I have no idea for sure what that looks like, but the little window that we get, get is, is, is found in the person of Jesus. Uh, his, his material body operated differently after the resurrection than before, and he was transformed. So the earth will be transformed, and we will be transformed. But I want us to see this, and this is really an important point. Um, yeah, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, but the new earth does not replace the old earth. The new earth is the perfection of the old earth. In just the same way that Jesus' resurrected body didn't replace his earthly body, he carried the scars with him. Uh, it didn't his transformed body was the perfection of his earthly body, and so it will be with us. But there's a continuity there. They recognized Jesus. It was still his body. I'll be resurrected with my body. Uh, and, and it will still be this earth. God's not giving up on this earth. God loves this earth. And that's why he wants to perfect this earth. Heaven will be the perfect version of what we are in right now. Because what we are in right now, it's all great, wonderful, but it's under the corrupting power of the uh, principalities and powers. So folks, the good news is not that we are going to get to leave earth and go to heaven. The good news is that we get to partner with God to bring heaven down to earth. And that's always the trajectory of Emmanuel. Not escape the world, but rather bring wholeness and shalom to the world. That's why Jesus tells us, that, tells us that when we pray, we're to pray, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we're to pray and we're to live in a way that is bringing heaven down to earth. Uh, to see God's will being carried out in this corrupt environment, we bring as much of heaven down now as we can. Uh, we're the body of Christ, right? And, and, and so we're supposed to be doing exactly what Jesus did with his, with his, his earthly body. We are the, the physical body of, of Christ, version number two. His first body was his own individual self, but now we all are the hands and the feet of Jesus. So we do exactly what Jesus did. What Jesus did always was bringing a slice of heaven into people's life. And sometimes that's what the gospel is, salvation. Salvation has come to you because what was afflicting you is no longer afflicting you. And notice that Jesus... He manifested the character of Abba Father all over the place, right? Uh, and he brought a slice of heaven to people, and he did it by paying attention to their physicality, their physical bodies. Never did Jesus go around and ask people, hey, how's your soul doing? Like, can you imagine? Someone comes up and, and a leper, I need to be healed. Jesus, uh, can you imagine Jesus saying, well, yeah, no, but, but how's your soul doing? And nowhere does he go around saying, you know, do you know where you'd be if you died tonight? That's not a bad question. It's just not a question that Jesus asked. Jesus always brought the kingdom to whatever the felt need of the person was. So to the person who's blind, the good news is healing to receive your sight. Uh, that, that's God's shalom. That's, self, that's what salvation looks like right here and now to this blind guy. To the person who's lame, the good news is the, the salvation is when the person is healed and can walk. And when the person's demonized, the good news is that Jesus can set them free from that. We're the body of Christ, and that's what we are to be doing. Uh, everything Jesus did was really manifesting in a little way here and now in this corrupt world what will be true of the entire creation later on. 
Bring a, little, bring a little bit of that transformation into the present. You're really pulling from the future. And by pulling from the future and bringing the slice of, of, the, of that kingdom in the present, that's how you're moving the world closer and closer to that coming kingdom. Uh, that's how you're laying the groundwork uh, for the, the coming of the Lord when he'll set everything right. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, folks, um, we know that in heaven there, there won't be any sick and lame. And so we come against sickness and disease and everything else. And we do it through prayer and we do it through medicine, but it's all pushing back on corruption. And we know that someday there won't be any more, uh, people aren't going to be in dehumanizing poverty. And if that's what's true later on, our job is to be manifesting that right now. So we come against poverty here and now. And in heaven, there's not going to be any homeless people, so we, we, we come against homelessness now. And we know there'll be no more immorality in heaven, so we, we, we flee from immorality now. There'll be no more violence in heaven, so we swear off violence now to manifest a little slice of heaven, to manifest that coming kingdom. Uh, you know that in the coming kingdom, there's not going to be any hierarchy of importance, uh, rating systems of, of, of people. There won't be any racism, and sexism, or any other kind of oppression. So our job is to... View people like that now to get rid of their categories, that ranking and files and classifications and, and in and outs and all that stuff. We get rid of it now to, to manifest what uh, that kingdom will be like. And that's how we're light to the world. That's how we offer the world something that the world doesn't already have. Jesus cares about the physical well-being of, of, of the, the people that he is dealing with. If Jesus cares about their physical well-being here and now, we have to care about their physical well-being here and now. It is so truncated to say, to divide a person between their soul and their body. Now, there's a distinction there for sure, but we, we're called to love a person is to love the whole person, to care about the whole person, not just their, their soul. And, and not even to rate that as, as like, well, that's a really important thing as though their physical circumstances was not also as equally important to the kingdom. No, it's about manifesting God's will on earth as it is in heaven here and now. The goal of the whole thing is to collapse the distinction. Uh, it, it's, it's for the spirit realm, the heavenly realm, to come down to earth. And, and when this is all said and done, when the thing's wrapped up, when the kingdom comes in fullness, there'll be a marriage between the transformed physical creation and, 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 and God's own, own presence. In some ways, it's almost an extension of the incarnation. Matter is compatible with God dwelling in it, and the goal is for God to be dwelling in the whole creation. The, the effect of God dwelling in Jesus Christ in that incarnation is to then bring that fullness of God to uh, the, the whole creation. And so we get a little peekaboo about this in the book of Revelation. Listen to this. It's symbolic language, but uh, um, man, it communicates. So John says this, Revelation 21, verses 2 through 4. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem. This is fulfilling... That whole theme that we looked at several weeks ago about how one of the ways that God speaks about Israel being the light of the world is he speaks about uh, the heavenly city, God's city, Jerusalem, and all the nations coming to Jerusalem. Well, it wasn't fulfilled in the Old Testament, but it is being fulfilled here. And so he says, there, it's all holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from the heaven from, from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals, Emmanuel. And he will dwell with them. It's always been the goal, Emmanuel. And they will be his peoples. And God himself will be with him. He just reiterates it over and over again. God's very being. We will be enveloped in God's very being. God's very being, that perfect love, will be the environment in which we live out our eternity. One way I like to put it is that we'll be dancing with the triune God, 
the dance of love of the triune God. And so Jesus went to prepare a place for us. He tells us this in John 14, that where he lives, we may also live. And a lot of people think that means, well, he went to some other planet called heaven or some other domain called heaven, and he's preparing a place, and then he'll come and snatch us away and take us there. That's what we always, that's what I was taught when I was first a Christian. We had tons of songs about that. Goodbye, world, goodbye. We're getting out of here. But no, see, Jesus prepared a place for us, and now he's bringing it back to us. The the city comes down from heaven, and it's on the earth. And that's the marriage of uh, the the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then if you go forward another 20 years or so, you find this. John says, I saw no temple in that city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there, which means the gates will never be shut. (laughs) It's going to be day all the time. People will bring into it the glory and honor of their nations. This is the fulfillment. This is God's purpose for for all of history. Um, One of the ways that God communicated the hope of Israel to to be the light of the world is by saying, you'll draw all the nations to God's house, which was the temple. That's on Mount Zion. Talked about that several weeks ago. Well, here we're seeing that fulfilled. But since that God never really lived in a temple, because God is the temple. The plan was for God to be the domain, the environment in which we live. And they have no need for sun or moon or any kind of light because God and the Lamb are the light. And this is a fulfillment of that whole light motif, the light set on, on, on a hill, the light that shines throughout the world, the light that draws all people. And so here we're seeing the fulfillment of this as the kings bring the glory of their nations and the people bring the glory of their nations, which is just to say the, all the godly aspects, all the good and beautiful aspects of, of their nations. Everything else has been purged away so they can dwell in the city because nothing unclean can come into the city, John tells us. But now, having been purged, they enter into the Emmanuel of God and dwell in the presence of God. And that is the hope that we are to be hoping for. That's the salvation that we're to be viewing. I'm happy that I'll be with the Lord when I die. That's great. Wonderful. And all believers, that's great. But the hope that jazzes us, the hope that should fuel us is about this world, this physical creation, what God's going to do here. And we don't just wait for it. We participate in it. Because as a body of Christ, we're to be doing exactly what Jesus did with his first earthly body. So I'll end with this. Um, you know, for, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was on this earth. And um, that's a long time by our reckoning. And it's easy to start to lose that anticipation, that expectation, that confidence. Uh, it's easy to stop preparing for it. It seems like it's, you wonder... Did we read it right? Maybe we got it wrong. Or maybe, is God really going to be faithful? And this is especially true when we're in a time of suffering. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, he was the one who first announced that this is the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. But then he is thrown into prison and is facing uh, execution. And he's beginning to wonder. So he sends out messengers to Jesus and he says, Are you the one that we were looking for, waiting for? Are you really him or are we supposed to look for another? That's what happens when we're in a state of suffering. It doesn't seem like Emmanuel is really here. Simeon, he's eight centuries, Jews have been in exile, and, and, and they were inconsolable. And all of his life, he's waiting for it to, to see this, this assurance of, of, of Jesus Christ. And he's told he has to wait. Uh, but when he holds the Jesus, and when he, when he, when he holds Jesus, is the one, this is he, this is the one who fulfills all of this. In him, Israel will find its consolation. In him, the creation will be redeemed. In him, salvation has come. 
And so the, the advent of Jesus, it's, and this is the very meaning of Christmas, it's, it's our reassurance. We can be assured that he's coming again, that the world will be fixed because look what he did the first time. God became a human being, died for us on a cross and rose from the dead, the firstborn among uh, m- m- many brethren. We'll all be transformed like that. And a God who was willing to do that, well, he's not going to abandon us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to abandon this physical creation. He loves it. And so, so with the meaning of Christmas is that, that, that God is faithful, that God loves creation, has entered into creation, has participated in creation, and he certainly will redeem creation. And our job as the body of Christ is to be a little bit like John the Baptist, and that's to be to preparing, the way, pre- preparing the way for the coming. I don't think we're going to evolve ourselves into this transformed state. It's going to require a radical inbreaking, uh, but, we do, but we do lay down the runway strip, as it were. We're preparing the way by modeling everything that will be true later on. And that is all about God's love for this physical creation. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm going to close with another uh, traditional prayer. Uh, but I, I first want to give a few announcements here. One is that after the service, which is going to be about one minute, uh, we have some prayer folks available who would love to pray with you. If you have any need that could use prayer, I encourage you to uh, get online and, and pray with these folks. Uh, remember on Tuesdays we have this uh, musecast where they take the sermon and go a little deeper with it. And I also encourage you to uh, get on some of our gathering rooms uh, where people get on and just discuss the sermon and go a little deeper with it. And there you can talk to people from all over the world, perhaps. I really encourage you to stay connected at a time when it's difficult to do so. Stay connected, all right? Be plugged in. So listen to this prayer with which I close. I feel like I should stand. This is a prayer that Christians have prayed for a long time and that right now Christians are playing all around the globe during this Advent season. God of justice and peace, from the heavens you rain down mercy and kindness that all on earth may stand in awe and wonder before your marvelous deeds. Raise our heads in expectation that we may yearn for the coming day of the Lord and stand without blame before your son, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next week.